So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how's this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed in the media. We'll answer questions you may have and break down myths, and hopefully also provide some factual information that you find interesting and helpful. Freudian Scripts is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. So you may be thinking, who are these two random girls making a makeshift podcast recording studio in their bedroom. <laughs> and why are they talking about this? Well, actually, we both have our PhDs in clinical psychology. And when we're not watching TV and recording this awesome podcast, we're seeing patients and conducting our own research. And while we have similar backgrounds, we have our very own unique specialty areas and got into psychology for different reasons. So I'm Dr. Fran, and I got into psychology because I really wanted to be a criminal profiler like a lot of other people who watch Dr. Reed on Criminal Minds. Um, I entered graduate school really thinking I wanted to work with criminals and study aggression, but then my focus really shifted, and now I focus on working with individuals who have gone through traumatic or really scary experiences. And I'm Dr. Sam. I also love Dr. Reed, and growing up as a child, I thought I really wanted to be an MD physician um, and in college discovered that orgo and chemistry and physics and all of that stuff wasn't really for me but I did really love working with children and families so I kind of shifted and went to get my PhD in psychology instead. Um, my specialty area I focus on working with kids, teenagers, and even young adults that have a combination of psychological issues so like depression or anxiety as well as medical conditions so things like diabetes or um, cancer. So you might be wondering how someone becomes a psychologist. Um, so everyone who's a psychologist, uh, especially a clinical psychologist, has five or more years of graduate school, which includes a lot of classes on how to diagnose and treat different psychological disorders from kids all the way up to adults. So this can be anything from working with people on some anxiety that they're having all the way up to really severe mental illness like schizophrenia. We're also trained to see patients in many different settings. So ranging from schools, working with children's, to children's children, uh, hospitals, inpatient psychiatric units, and community clinics. Um, and while this seems like a lot of information, a lot of things that you have to do, this is really just an introduction into what psychology is all about. We're really hoping that through this podcast, you can learn a little bit more about what psychology is, um, learning more about what real therapy looks like um, as we comment on how it's portrayed in the media that we see every day. Also thinking about um, how different diagnoses are portrayed in the media and kind of breaking down some myths about what those look like and different types of treatment that exists for them. And by talking about these topics, we're open, also hoping we do a little bit of our part to start breaking down some of mental health stigma by talking about it a lot more. Yeah. So now that we've given um, kind of an overview about psychology, what it takes to be a psychologist in our interest, let's talk a little bit more about the entertainment side, so TV and movies. Um, I want to start off just by asking, I'm sure our listeners are dying to know, Dr. Pran, what are some of your favorite movies or TV shows that you like to watch? So I would say some of mine fall into a few different genres. So if we're talking movies, psychological thrillers, not horror films, because you know I cannot watch scary movies or I'll have nightmares for weeks. Very scared. <laughs> psychological thrillers I love. So Fight Club's one of my favorite movies of all time. 
Um, Quentin Tarantino movies, Reservoir Dogs is my favorite. So anything that's kind of dark and really mysterious and kind of has you guessing and has a big twist at the end, that's like a huge bonus for me. Um, I also love little quirky, witty comedies, especially if they're British. So I've been binge watching Sex Education recently on Netflix. Highly recommend. Um, And then I have a guilty pleasure for cooking shows, anything related to cooking or baking, all of it. What about you? So I think you'll be able to tell like why Dr. Fran and I are also friends. We do have similar interests, but then it's kind of interesting because we differ in certain ways. So I also um, am really into comedies. I think in our line of work too, sometimes it's nice to just unplug, unwind, have a good laugh. For sure. Um, and unlike Dr. Fran, I, do, I really do like horror. So I'm really into really scary things. So TV show wise, I really love things like American Horror Story. Um, I recently just binged all um, the end of the effing world by two kind of like troubled kids um kind of going through this adventure i also love comedy so i'm obsessed with the american version of the office i watched it a million times and watch it probably every day and then i love comedies like brooklyn 99 new girl was like a real favorite of mine and movies it really varies so um you mentioned quentin tarantino i'm a big quentin tarantino fan i also love everything by tim burton so interesting yeah and then anything harry potter related (laughs) awesome Oh, and we also share our guilty pleasures of some trash TV. Uh, we recently had a Bachelor bracket, which neither of us won, but it was really fun. I did win. You did? I did win, oh, yeah. congrats. <laughs> uh, Dr. Fran is surprised because um, there was a strong front runner for most of the season, but I ended up winning. It's controversial. I won't discuss it because of spoilers, but if you watch the end, you can tell it was a controversial ending, but I ended up winning, so. Wow. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> so now that we've gotten to know a little bit more about us, we want to go ahead and dive into our first movie. Um, we chose a classic movie portrayal of psychology. Good Will Hunting. Yeah, and actually, speaking of favorites, one of my like favorite movies, like thinking about movies that have like are related to psychology. So I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah. But before we do get into it. Dr. Fran. We do have some disclaimers and warnings for this episode. So if you've seen Goodwill Hunting, you know that there are some really heavy adult themes. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about child abuse today and kind of treatments for trauma and different things like that. So that stuff can be hard to talk about in here. So we want to go ahead and put that out there. Um, also, a few of the clips we're going to play are explicit. So maybe put your headphones on if you have kids around or send them into the other room or something when, we're, when you're listening to this. <laughs> We'll also talk about the plot of the movie. We'll try not to give away all the details, but if you haven't seen it, go ahead and pause right now, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the podcast um, because you'll get a lot more out of it if you've seen the movie. So on that note, I guess I will start off by giving just a very brief synopsis of Goodwill Hunting. Uh, just like Dr. Fran mentioned, we want to give you an idea of what the movie's overall about, just in case you haven't seen the movie or it's been a while. You know, this movie did come out in 1997, so maybe it's just been a while since you watched it. Maybe you're too young, you've never even heard of this movie. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> but um, So we're going to give you a little bit of detail to help you out. And full disclosure, I had not seen this movie in years, so I recently watched it, like two weeks ago, preparing to do this episode, so it is a nice refresher for sure. Exactly, and always a good rewatch, I feel like, it holds up. Um, So as I mentioned, it did come out in 1997, and it was nominated for nine Academy Awards, it ended up winning two, Um, it won for Best Supporting Actor, as well as Best Original Screenplay, and was um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's, like, breakthrough in Hollywood basically so pretty and they're the ones that wrote the screenplay they did write it Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool yeah really cool so Matt Damon stars as Will Hunting who is a self-taught genius from South Boston he happens to be mopping the floors of MIT one day when he comes across and secretly solves 
a very difficult math proof. Which, for those of us who are bad at math, is code for math problem. <laughs> well, this math problem is on the chalkboard, and Matt Damon, or Will Hunting, goes ahead and solves it. So this creates a huge frenzy at MIT with all the other nerds and professors, and it's a huge mystery because no one comes forward and no one can figure out who solved this problem. No one believes that this lowly janitor could have been the one to solve it. Later, he's caught solving another problem left for him kind of as a trap, and this famous math professor tries to take Will under his wing. Well, and when they first see him, he thinks he's, like, messing with the math problem, right? And then he, like, chases him down to get mad at him and then finally figures out that he's the one that Who's, solves it. And he's like, oh, wait, now I want you to be my friend. And Exactly. And he goes on this whole quest to actually track down Will Hunting because he thinks he's, like, the next big Albert Einstein and wants to be the one to discover him and work with him. Um, this is fortuitous for Will, though, because... Earlier in the movie, he had some previous trouble with the law, um, and he is in court, and this professor ends up bailing him out under two conditions. So one, that he will work with him on all this nerd math stuff, and number two, that he will see a therapist. Dun, dun, dun. Enter Robin Williams, or in the movie, Dr. Sean McGuire. So why does Will need therapy? Well, first of all, as psychologists or therapists, we believe that everyone could use a little therapy every once in a while, but especially Will <laughs> hunting. Yes. Um, we notice that Will is struggling with a lot of stuff. He had, clearly has a history of trauma, which we define as something really bad or scary happening. For him, we learn that he's been a victim of child abuse. Um, and he also has a history of issues with attachment. Um, and so attachment is what we refer to, it really means like bonds or relationships that we form with others. So between a mother and a child, um, or and early attachment between like a child and their parents can then impact how they relate and bond with others in the future when they're an adult, like Will Hunting. Um, so trauma and attachment are two of the central themes that we really identified that kind of come up throughout the whole movie and are the things that Will really struggles with. So we learn pretty early that Will is an orphan. Um, he's been in multiple foster homes. We don't really know the circumstances around why he's an orphan or what happened, or even if that's the truth. That's mm -hmm. just kind of what he shares. Um, and then he's also been in and out of the juvenile detention for kind of, um, you know, aggressive behavior, getting in fights, things like that. Yep, trouble with the law. He mentions, like, when he's in the courtroom scene, they talk about he has um, a significant rap sheet. <laughs> so he's been previously in trouble for assault as well as grand theft auto. And I feel like the portrayal of kind of how Will's reacting and given all of his history and stuff is pretty accurate. Um, and the idea that he went through this abusive situation in the foster care system is also pretty accurate. So just to give you guys some numbers um, of referrals to CPS or Child Protective Services for child maltreatment, um, around 75% of those are for neglect and up to 25% are for physical abuse. Um, and, you know, while Will, and we'll really dive a little bit more into this, but he is very, um, he's not very open about his abuse history. But in moments when he is becoming a little more emotional, he will um, almost lash out and then express these instances in which he has been abused. And he reveals that he had been physically abused. Um, I think he even says, like, he had cigarettes put out on him mm -hmm. and had been hit. Um, and there's various instances where this comes up by foster parents that he had lived with and we're not sure like Dr. Fran mentioned kind of the circumstances that led to him in foster care so there might even have been abuse or neglect before he entered the system too. Yeah and the research shows that rates of abuse in foster care range from 20 to 30 and that's likely an underestimate mm -hmm. you know these are only people that are being caught um, but there's probably much higher rates among the foster system and just in general um, which is really sad and unfortunate that this is a really common issue that a lot of kids have to deal with and that um, can present with problems and issues similar to Will. 
Yeah, and, you know, Will really, throughout the movie, seems to struggle with relationships. So he has a core group of friends, which include Ben and Casey Affleck, actually, um, as the actors. But he has a really close group of core friends that seemingly he has grown up with and that he trusts and is loyal to. But beyond that, he really has a hard time connecting. So in the movie, he does establish a romantic relationship with a Harvard student named Skylar. She's this wealthy wannabe doctor. Um, And as they continue to grow close... He is constantly pushing her away. Um, And I think we actually have a really nice example Mm -hmm. of Will pushing Skylar away, as he does with many other personal relationships. Let's play it. You're the one that's afraid. I'm afraid. What what, what am I afraid of? What the fuck am I afraid of? You're afraid of of me. You're afraid that I won't love you back. You know what? I'm afraid, too. Fuck it. I want to give it a shot. And at least I'm honest with you. I'm not honest with you. No, what about your 12 brothers? No, you're not going. You're not leaving. What do you want to know? What? That I don't have 12 brothers? That I'm a fucking orphan? No, you don't want to hear that. I didn't know that. No, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that I got fucking cigarettes put out of me when I was a little kid. I didn't know that. That this isn't fucking surgery, that the motherfuckers stabbed me. You don't want to hear that shit, Skylar. Well... So, you know, it's a very intense scene. It's really difficult to watch. Um, Skylar's constantly trying to reassure Will and tell him tell, tell him that she cares about him, and he just is very emotional. He's he's very reactive. So he feels kind of cornered. He, like, wants tries to leave. She doesn't let him leave, mm-hmm. and then he just kind of escalates. We didn't play this part of the clip, but he ends up getting almost physical. He ends up punching the wall right next to her, um, and she ends up continuing to just kind of say like I love you and I'm trying to be here for you so she's like really really trying and he just like can't in this moment like engage with that relationship and you know Will talks about when he's first trying to find a therapist to work for or work with rather before he ends up sticking with Robin Williams or Dr. McGuire he talks about having seen a ton of therapists a ton of psychologists we even see as he's trying to meet with some therapists that he really does anything he can to push their buttons and push them away he doesn't want to let people get close so maybe I think would be a good time for us to describe like we see Will struggling like we mentioned with these trauma and attachment difficulties um so Dr. Fran do you think is that really in line with what we would expect with someone that has a background similar to Will's, kind of what he's going through? Yeah, definitely. So we see a lot of the classic symptoms um, of either post-traumatic stress disorder or other kind of attachment-related disorders or things that can happen um, for kids who have been abused. So things like flashbacks. We don't get any a lot of clear pictures, but there is a scene at the end where we kind of have a little flashback to someone walking up the stairs, what we presume to be his foster dad, so flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when he's kind of um, presented with his file where he sees pictures of himself mm-hmm. as an abused child, and he kind of has those flashbacks to being in the foster home. Right. And Robin Williams is reading out, like, the bad things that had happened to him, basically. Um, We also see he has a really irritable mood. That's a really common um, thing that can happen, especially for younger kids, but even up until, like, young adulthood where we see Will. Um, Having really negative thoughts about himself, Mm -hmm. like, I can't really trust, or about other people, like, I can't trust other people, um, or it's my fault. Having, like, negative thoughts about the world is another really common one. He definitely seems pretty despondent. At one point, this famous math professor who's trying to get him a job, remember, he has this attitude of kind of like, what's the point? Yeah. Like, he doesn't really um, have a very positive view of, like, his future or the world around him. Mm-hmm. 
Another really common thing that they show that Will does that is um, often happens for kids and adults even who have been through trauma is really wanting to avoid thinking about and talking about what happens. The main times we hear him talk about it are when he's really emotional. So that's incident with Skylar and then later when Robin Williams brings it up. But he does not want to talk about it or kind of engage in that because it's just too hard. Yeah, very true. Um, And then we've already touched upon this, but we do see difficulties with forming meaningful relationships with people. So Will definitely has trouble with this. He has a couple of close friends, but the romantic relationship with Skylar, he even makes a comment at one point in therapy with Dr. McGuire about how, you know, things are perfect right now, like might as well end it, not to continue it. Um, And luckily Dr. McGuire actually challenges him on those thoughts and kind of tries to give him some perspective about how relationships can be important and meaningful, but he definitely struggles with that. And you can understand why, right? I mean, here's this kid who's been in multiple homes who doesn't seem to have, like, a stable parent or family figure at all up until the point that he meets these friends, which we don't really know how long they've been friends. It seems like a while. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you can imagine a kid growing up with no kind of consistent relationships is going to have a really hard time trusting people and being able to let people in like that. Very true. And interestingly, one of the things I found myself feeling really frustrated with is when he's kind of therapist shopping, as I'll call it, when he's meeting these new therapists, he will do whatever he can to kind of push them away, push their buttons. And a lot of these therapists kind of throw their hands up in the air and give up. And that's really typical of what we see with people that have Mm -hmm. these attachment difficulties. They will kind of test people and push them away. And every time someone actually scurries away, you're just reinforcing or kind of proving to them like yes my ideas are right no one really does want to get close to me so he just kind of has this pattern of these relationships where people just are going away right and I think that's a really good segue into talking about the therapeutic relationship so um, we're going to focus primarily on some of the positive things that go on with Dr. McGuire Um, and one of the things we like to think about when we're talking about trauma-focused treatment and one thing that Dr. McGuire tries to do is focus on developing that trust because it's so important especially for someone who's been through so many kind of failed relationships over and over Mm -hmm. Um, and Dr. McGuire does this in a few different ways one of them is self-disclosure is the word in psychology we use for sharing things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's something that might, Dr. Guire might go a little bit overboard with, but <laughs> yeah. um, just in general, it can be a useful tool to kind of making yourself more of a human to the patient or just kind of letting them know a little bit about you so you're not just kind of like a suit in a chair who's like evaluating them or something like that. Exactly. In the movie, Dr. McGuire, he will kind of pick up on, will ask about like working out or art or the books that he has mm-hmm. on his shelf. And Dr. McGuire always tries to flip that around to say like, oh, you like reading? Have you read that? Oh, do you do art? Trying to find some sense of connection to build that relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not only is Dr. McGuire sharing stuff about himself, but he's showing genuine interest in getting to know Will, which seems to be different, at least from what we see in the movie, that the other therapists have tried. They don't seem to have that much interest in, like, him as a person. That's true. And and interestingly, Will at one point tells Dr. McGuire, like, you talk more than any other shrink I've ever had. (laughs) So we'll touch on this a little bit later. But Dr. McGuire definitely self-discloses in a positive way at times and maybe a little more than others would at times. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing Dr. McGuire really does to try to focus on developing that relationship is he's very patient and he doesn't push Will when he's not ready. And he also doesn't react when Will tries to push his buttons. Like the other therapists just like kick him out and are like, I'm not dealing with this patient, which again is not something that would normally happen in real life. Um, But Dr. McGuire really kind of sticks it out with him. Yeah, like in the movie, they have a whole session where they go a complete hour without Will saying anything. And other friends um, that I've watched the movie 
Lugoth will always say something like, oh, that's not real. Like, that would never happen. And actually, that is like a, a skill set or a strategy that clinicians can use, like silence. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never gone a full 45-minute session <laughs> in silence, but I've gone probably a good 15 minutes. Yeah. And the person I'm thinking of, it was someone who was highly traumatized, who had had a really difficult time. And so we just sat in silence. Yeah. For like 15 minutes. It, can, it definitely works. And it worked with Will, so... <laughs> Um, and kind of along those lines, like with uh, Dr. McGuire being so patient, Will, like we mentioned, is very used to pushing people away successfully. And he tries the strategy again with Dr. McGuire. So he will um, try whatever he can to see what gets a rise out of Dr. McGuire. At one point, he sees a picture that Dr. McGuire has painted and he starts to make comments about it. Um, and he quickly discovers that talking about Dr. McGuire's wife is a soft spot. So he really mm-hmm. pokes at that button to get Dr. McGuire to be frustrated. He sits in silence. He does anything he can to really upset and push Dr. McGuire away. But what Dr. McGuire does really nicely is he doesn't for the most part, we'll touch on one instance in which he reacts, but for the most part, he does not react. Um, and he really allows for that bond to form and he doesn't let Will push him away. And he kind of finally like disproves, if you will, that um, not everyone goes away if you push them away. Yeah, exactly. So another thing I really love that Dr. McGuire does is he really tries to work with Will on perspective taking, which is what in psychology we use to describe, like trying to put yourself in another person's shoes, kind of like trying to understand what it's like to be um, kind of in the place of someone else. So he does this um, kind of in a funny way. It's that scene where they're out in, what's that place in Boston? Boston Commons. Boston Commons. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Sam has spent some time in Boston, so she's our resident Boston expert. Um, So they're sitting in the park and he's trying to basically talk to him about how just because you've read all these things or learned about all these things doesn't mean you know what those people's experiences are and he makes this has this line about just because I've read Oliver Twist doesn't mean I understand what being an orphan is life and be like what your life is like Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's just a really important line and kind of like idea and I think it really sits with Will and he then kind of puts it in his court he's like I'm in like I want to learn more about you I don't want to just learn what I can read in a book and like the ball's in your court like let me know if you want to if you want to meet me that meet me halfway basically yeah I love that you brought that scene up Dr. Fran I feel like that's a really pivotal moment in the movie of when they're really like building this relationship um I think it's an important scene for sure um and you know I think shortly thereafter while we're watching the movie we also see a shift right so in the beginning Will like we mentioned is really trying to push Dr. McGuire's buttons get a rise out of him and just push him away um and eventually we start to see that Will enjoys therapy likes talking to Dr. McGuire um and at one point he says something that could potentially seem offensive to Dr. McGuire and he even apologizes like oh I'm so sorry like I didn't mean it that way so we see the shift where he's not like trying to be rude to him anymore but he's actually kind of taking into account his feelings and Um, that's like such a satisfying feeling as a therapist when you have a patient that has been like dragging their feet that doesn't want to be there like maybe their parents are dragging them there or like they're court ordered or whatever the case may be you clearly know they don't want to be in your office and then you can notice that shift Mm -hmm. where they start to like actually want to spend time with you or like when you say time's up they're like a little disappointed right and that's like a really important shift when that happens I think so and they're really starting to see the benefit and I think that's what happens with Will he's really starting to see the benefit um and this is kind of bringing us towards the end of the movie really but at the very end um towards the end uh they kind of get into a disagreement right they're getting into an argument Dr. McGuire tells Will like you know stop wasting my time like if you're not going to be here if you're not going to put in the work we're not going to do it like don't waste my time and Will makes this comment like hey like I thought we were friends like why are you mm-hmm. kicking me out why are you mad um so you also see that that this like dynamic has changed and you know interestingly working with kids I think sometimes kids will also have that like thought or confusion almost at times mm-hmm. like oh but I thought we're friends like I thought you get me I thought you know what I'm going through um so I think that also shows how Will has now shifted into this like 
he likes Dr. McGuire, doesn't want to offend Dr. McGuire, hopefully he's getting some benefit out of their therapeutic relationship. Yeah, definitely. And I think even in that scene, then Dr. McGuire says, time's up, like, get out of my office. Yeah. And Will's like, wait, no, I want to stay a little bit longer. Right? Yeah, so that's, again, that kind of shift in, like, valuing the time instead of just, like, waiting for it to be over. Yeah. And as we alluded to, we're really coming up towards the end of the movie. So at the very end of the movie, Will actually hears, or overhears, I should say, because he's kind of hiding, but he overhears Dr. McGuire having an argument with that famous math professor who he's been working with. Um, and Dr. McGuire does a really nice job of what we call in psychology conceptualizing. And what that really means is just kind of giving his overall like summary and impressions of what he thinks Will's going through and why he thinks Will's going through that. And he does a really nice job of summarizing it. So I think it's best if we actually kind of listen to that now. Why is he hiding? Why doesn't he trust anybody? Because the first thing that happened to him, he was abandoned by the people who were supposed to love him the oh, most. Oh, come on, don't give me that for you. Oh, crap. no, listen, Jerry, and why does he hang out with those retarded gorillas, as you call them? Because any one of them, if he asked them to, would take a fucking bat to your head, okay? That's called loyalty. Yeah, it's very touchy. And who's he handling? He pushes people away before they have a chance to leave him. It's a defense mechanism, all right? And for 20 years, he's been alone because of that. And if you push him right now, it's going to be the same thing all over again, and I'm not going to let that happen to him. So as you can see, like Dr. McGuire does a really nice job of kind of just putting it all together. Um, and I think it is really aligned with what Dr. Fran and I have been talking mm -hmm. about, just kind of his difficulty to attach with others and make these relationships um, really kind of stemming from the time when he was younger and how he has continued to push people away to protect himself um, and how they have to now kind of protect Will by not continuing to push him or push him back. And like we mentioned, Will's actually listening to all of this. And I think it really is impactful for Will. Mm -hmm. My kind of take on that scene is he finally, I think, sees or feels rather that Dr. McGuire maybe gets him and gets yeah. what he's going through. Because this really leads to a very um, pivotal, I think, like the climactic part of the movie where they have this session. Right. Well, and I think it also goes, like, it's the first time he's seeing uh, Dr. McGuire, like, stand up for him, too, mm -hmm. like, against this math professor who's, like, allegedly has Will's best yeah. interest at heart, but really he's kind of got his own interests. But Definitely. Dr. McGuire's really standing up and saying, like, I'm not doing what you're telling me to, like, I'm doing what's in the best interest for Will. Yes. So he's seeing him stand up for him, which is really nice. I think that's really important. And the scene that Dr. Sam just alluded to um, is kind of one of the kind of iconic classic scenes from this movie, which is the scene where... Um, Dr. McGuire says it's not your fault kind of over and over again and this actually is a really nice example of what can be like a classic element of trauma-focused treatment um, so oftentimes people experience self-blame after traumatic experiences things like you know if I did things differently maybe this wouldn't have happened or like you know if I wasn't so poorly behaved maybe he wouldn't have hit me or like just things like that those mm -hmm. thoughts can come up for people um, who've been through those experiences. And so sometimes part of trauma work is correcting those thinking errors. Mm -hmm. So trying to kind of challenge those thoughts, which is exactly what Dr. McGuire does in that situation, right? Yeah, and I think, I believe, Dr. Fran, a lot of this can come from, like, when these traumatic events happen to people, there's this thing where people are trying to make meaning, right? Trying mm -hmm. to understand what has happened to them, why this has happened. Right, exactly. And mm -hmm. sometimes, unfortunately, that meaning is shifted to be like, well, if I, you know, I had control over the situation, when really in, a, in all, most situations, they don't have any control over it, and it's not their fault. Yeah, and so this scene, like you mentioned, it can be a pivotal element of trauma-related treatment. Um, it obviously goes down a little bit differently in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of how would it typically go versus then what do we see happen with Will and Dr. McGuire? 
Yeah, so typically in trauma-focused treatment, um, at least for people with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, we really develop coping skills, so different ways of handling those intense emotions that can come up when we're reminded of the traumatic events, and then we talk about the trauma. And that's really to try to reduce the intensity of those feelings and memories and different thoughts around the traumatic event, which bring up those PTSD symptoms. Um, We don't really see that as much fleshed out in the movie. Mm -hmm. That's not super surprising. I mean, no one really necessarily wants to watch, like, a whole movie about that. Um, and probably Will's not really ready for that. I mean, he barely can even talk about it and we, unless he's, like, reacting. Yeah. Um, so it would probably be really hard for him to sit down and, like, tell someone, like, from start to finish everything that happened to him, which is oftentimes a big part of trauma-focused therapy. I think you're right. In that last session together that they have, really, um, Dr. McGuire mentions to Will, like, that he has his file. And, you know, mm-hmm. Will is also very aware of what has happened to him. And instead of, like, talking about it, he even asked Dr. McGuire, like, hey, so what's in that file? And he right. kind of almost wants him to address it or bring it up. Right. And so they do talk about it. And other than his fight with Skylar that we played a clip from earlier, that's, like, the most detail we hear mm-hmm. about the trauma. So it's almost like a little mini what we call trauma narrative, which is where someone's reading out or describing what happened. Um, it's almost like a little mini trauma narrative. And then Dr. McGuire tries to work to correct those thinking errors or those um, kind of assumptions that Will has about what happened. And that can be really therapeutic is correcting those mm-hmm. thinking errors. So that's not my fault um, versus it is my fault and I should have done things differently. That can be really cathartic for people to kind of shift their thinking about how, what happened. Yeah. Speaking of cathartic, maybe we should listen to how it kind of plays out with Will. It's not your fault. Don't fuck with me. It's not your fault. Don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault. favorite parts of the movie right I think every therapist dreams of having like that breakthrough with a patient right where you just are like really trying to get this point across and they finally just kind of like break down and get it yeah definitely it's very emotional you hear the emotion in Will and at first he's even afraid right he's afraid of it but Mm -hmm. Dr. McGuire persists and you know it's a very impactful scene I think it's one of the more famous scenes from the movie actually yeah Um, you can see why Robin Williams won that award for this movie yeah both of them I mean I think you see like I think that's why part of it's so touching is that Matt Damon the whole time is playing this like very like tough confident character and then he just kind of like breaks down and loses it Mm -hmm. um and for the first time we see him like express that in sadness and like crying versus like anger and aggression exactly he's finally like able to be vulnerable with Dr. McGuire and makes that breakthrough yeah it's a very nice scene and now I know we're all dying to know how Goodwill Hunting ends. Tell us, Dr. Sam. <laughs> I will. So after Dr. McGuire, you know, acknowledges to Will that the trauma was not his fault and they have that really heartfelt scene that we just talked about, Will appears to be able to move past his trauma and feel empowered to start a more healthy life with more healthy relationships. So he talks about his appreciation for working with Dr. McGuire. He says he wants to stay in touch with Dr. McGuire. Um, and at the end of the movie he quits a job that he recently gained leaves a letter for dr mcguire and drives off to california to go and see about a girl 
How sweet. It's very sweet. I like to think that Will and Skylar are still out there in California living together. They're probably both geniuses and hopefully happy. You can imagine whatever you want the story to end, however you want it to end. (laughs) So we spent most of the um, podcast talking about some of the positive things and the good things that Dr. McGuire did and how psychology was portrayed well, but we do feel obligated to at least acknowledge that there were some ways that Dr. McGuire acted that were maybe not how we would recommend therapists act. Definitely. And we like to call this segment of the podcast... P.H. Don'ts. This is not a safe place. Sorry, are you you gonna like keep touching me like that? That guy is a total loon. But I cannot talk about my clients. I cannot talk about my clients. That's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you. We're hoping to have this for most of our podcasts when we break down different movies and TV shows to describe things that therapists do not or at least should not do. So therapists should not call their patients a lunatic, hijack the therapy session, and talk about their dead wife, have creepy spies or TAs sit in on their therapy sessions, hypnotize someone in order to uncover hidden and repressed memories, choke your patient. Yeah, don't choke your patient. Please, guys, don't choke (laughs) your patients. No one should be choking their patient. So now that we're done with the Peach Don'ts, how did you feel about the movie overall, Dr. Brand? What did you think of Goodwill Hunting? So I think it was really important for me to watch this again after having like been practicing psychology for a long time and kind of thinking about it from that lens. But I mean, this is a classic for a reason, right? The acting's really excellent. Mm-hmm. The storyline's really good. Um, and I appreciate that it's one of the first movies, again, we're thinking about the 90s, one of the first like big blockbuster films that's portraying psychology and the therapeutic relationship in kind of like a positive light. Oftentimes we get a really bad rep in the media. That's true. This was definitely a relationship that was helpful for Will, right? And so maybe the takeaway there is if I have some of these difficulties, if I experience something like that, therapy could be helpful for me too. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely a good light to shed. Um, I really like watching this movie now. As Dr. Friend mentioned, I have spent some time in Boston. So Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed like the Boston accents. I really enjoy just seeing the parts of Boston that they're in, like when it like pans over, seeing the Boston Commons and things like that. And fun fact, um, I went and very meticulously tried to sit at that exact bench where Dr. McGuire and Will Hunting really? have, that, yeah, have that conversation. Um, and I was like using pictures on Google and trying to find it and sit on that bench. And that was really fun. So Did you get pictures? Oh, yes. I definitely have pictures. Nice. There's a swan. It ha- you know, this movie... It's nice and cool to see now being a practicing clinician as well as having spent time in Boston. It's kind of cool from that perspective. Yeah. So I think overall we give it a big thumbs up for this movie. In terms of portrayal of psychology and just in general a good movie to watch. Yeah, definitely enjoyable. It's a good one. There were a couple of things that were funny though while we were watching Dr. Fran that just drove you crazy. One in particular I'd like you to share. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The math professor, this is not something I remembered from the first time I watched this movie, he wears this stupid long (laughs) scarf. It's not even like done up around its neck. It's just dangling like down to his ankles and he wears it in every single scene it's like if you wear the scarf you're smart yeah like academics that's what they wear right it was like the shod collar cardigans and this scarf and this weird <laughs> dangling scarf and you had your own kind of nitpicky thing that bugged you throughout the film this that ta that we talked about <laughs> in the hypnosis room he just like globs on to these professors and just talks about how genius they are like at the one scene when one of those like random math professors ego may be hurt he like gently strokes his shoulder and says you're a brilliant man people just get lucky and he i don't i don't get that character they could have done without him that's fair (laughs) 
So that kind of wraps up our first episode of Freudian Scripts. Um, we'd love if you guys could send us some of your thoughts about Goodwill Hunting, things that you like about the movie, maybe questions you have, or just kind of thoughts about how we talked about the movie, interesting things you learned, or things like that. We'd also love to hear what questions you have about psychology and what movies or TV shows you want us to put on our couch and break down next. Don't forget to check out our website at freudianscripts.com for additional information. Find and follow us on our social media accounts, and as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. So we are going to go ahead and end our podcast the way we end our therapy session. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, our creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. Webmaster Don.